Book 12, Part 1 of History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth Translated by Aaron Thompson and J. A. Giles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1 Caduan acquires by treaty all Britain on this side of the Humber, and Adelfrid the rest. After this, all the princes of the Britons met together at Legacester, and consented to make Caduan their king, that under his command they might pursue Edelfrid beyond the Humber. Accordingly, as soon as he was crowned, they flocked together from all parts, and passed the Humber, of which, when Edelfrid received intelligence, he entered into a confederacy with all the Saxon kings, and went to meet Caduan. At last, as they were forming their troops for a battle, their friends came and made peace between them on these terms, that Caduan should enjoy that part of Britain which lies on this side of the Humber, and Adelfrid that which is beyond it. As soon as they had confirmed this agreement with an oath made to their hostages, there commenced such a friendship between them that they had all things common. In the meantime it happened that Adelfrid banished his own wife and married another, and bore so great a hatred to her that was banished that he would not suffer her to live in the kingdom of Northumberland. Whereupon she, being with child, went to King Caduan, that by his mediation she might be restored to her husband. But when Adelfrid could by no means be brought to consent to it, she continued to live with Caduan, till she was delivered of the son which she had conceived. A short time after her delivery, Caduan also had a son born to him by the queen, his wife, then were the two boys brought up together in a manner suitable to their royal birth, one of which was called Cadwallo, the other Edwin. When they were nearly arrived at men's estate, their parents sent them to Salomon, king of the Armorican Britons, that in his court they might learn the discipline of war and other princely qualifications. This prince, therefore, received them graciously, and admitted them to an intimacy with him, so that there was none of their age in the whole court that had a free access, or more familiarly discoursed with the king, than they. At last he himself was an eyewitness of their exploits against the enemy, in which they very much signalised their valour. Chapter 2 Cadwallo breaks the covenant he had made with Edwin. In process of time, when their parents were dead, they returned to Britain, where they took upon them the government of the kingdom, and began to form the same friendship as their fathers. Two years after this, Edwin asked leave of Cadwallo to wear a crown, and to celebrate the same solemnities as had been used of old in Northumberland. 
and when they had begun a treaty upon this subject by the river Douglas, that the matter might be adjusted according to the advice of their wise counsellors, it happened that Cadwallo was lying on the other side of the river, in the lap of a certain nephew of his, whose name was Brian. While ambassadors were negotiating between them, Brian wept, and shed tears so plentifully that the king's face and beard were wet with them. The king, imagining that it rained, lifted up his face, and seeing the young man in tears, asked him the occasion of such sudden grief. Good reason, said he, have I to weep continually, as well as the whole British nation, which has groaned under the oppression of barbarians ever since the time of Malgo, and has not yet got a prince to restore it to its ancient flourishing state. And even the little honour that it had left is lessened by your indulgence, since the Saxons, who were only strangers and always traitors to our country, must now be permitted to wear the same crown as you do. For when once they shall attain to regal dignity, it will be a great addition to their glory in the country from whence they came, and they will the sooner invite over their countrymen for the utter extirpation of our race. For they have always been accustomed to treachery, and never to keep faith with any, which I think should be a reason for our keeping them under, and not for exalting them. When King Vortigern first retained them in his service, they made a show of living peaceably, and fighting for our country, till they had an opportunity of practising their wickedness, and then they returned evil for good, betrayed him, and made a cruel massacre of the people of the kingdom. Afterwards they betrayed Aurelius Ambrosius, to whom, even after the most tremendous oaths of fidelity, at a banquet with him they gave a draught of poison. They also betrayed Arthur, when, setting aside the covenant by which they were bound, they joined with his nephew Mordred, and fought against him. Lastly, they broke faith with King Caraticus, and brought upon him Gormund, king of the Africans, by whose disturbances our people were robbed of their country, and the king disgracefully driven out. Chapter 3 A Quarrel Between Cadwallo and Edwin At the mention of these things, Cadwallo repented of entering into this treaty, and sent word to Edwin, that he could by no means induce his counsellors to consent to his petition, for they alleged that it was contrary to law and the ancient establishment that an island, which has always had no more than one crown, should now be under subjection to two crowned heads. This message incensed Edwin and made him break off the conference and retire into Northumberland saying he would be crowned without Cadwallo's leave. When Cadwallo was told this, he declared to him by his ambassadors 
that he would cut off his crowned head if he presumed to wear a crown within the kingdom of Britain. Chapter 4 Cadwallo is vanquished by Edwin and driven out of the kingdom. This proved the occasion of a war between them, in which, after several engagements between their men, they at last met together themselves beyond the Humber, and had a battle, wherein Cadwallo lost many thousands of his followers, and was put to flight. From hence he marched with precipitation through Albania, and went over to Ireland. But Edwin, after this victory, led his army through the provinces of the Britons, and burning the cities before him, grievously afflicted the citizens and the country people. During this exercise of his cruelty, Cadwallo never ceased endeavouring to return back to his country in a fleet, but without success, because to whatever port he steered, Edwin met him with his forces and hindered his landing. For there was come to him from Spain a very skilful soothsayer named Pelitus, who, by the flight of birds, and the courses of the stars foretold all the disasters that would happen. By these means Edwin, getting knowledge of Cadwallo's return, prepared to meet him, and shattered his ships so that he drowned his men, and beat him off from all his ports. Cadwallo, not knowing what course to take, was almost in despair of ever returning, at last it came into his head to go to Salomon, king of the Armorican Britons, and desire his assistance and advice to enable him to return to his kingdom. And so, as he was steering towards Armorica, a strong tempest rose on a sudden, which dispersed the ships of his companions, and in a short time left no two of them together. The pilot of the king's ship was seized immediately with so great a fear that, quitting the stern, he left the vessel to the disposal of fortune, so that all that night it was tossed up and down in great danger by the raging waves. The next morning they arrived at a certain island called Gynaria, where with great difficulty they got ashore. Cadwallo was forthwith seized with such grief for the loss of his companions that for three days and nights together he refused to eat but lay sick upon his bed. The fourth day he was taken with a very great longing for some venison and causing Brian to be called made him acquainted with it whereupon Brian took his bow and quiver and went through the island, that if he could light on any wild beast, he might make booty of it. And when he had walked over the whole island, without finding what he was in quest of, he was extremely concerned that he could not gratify his master's desire, and was afraid his sickness would prove mortal if his longing were not satisfied. He therefore fell upon a new device and cut a piece of flesh out of his own thigh, which he roasted upon a spit 
and carried to the king for venison. The king, thinking it to be real venison, began to eat of it to his great refreshment, admiring the sweetness of it, which he fancied exceeded any flesh he had ever tasted before. At last, when he had fully satisfied his appetite, he became more cheerful, and in three days was perfectly well again. Then the wind standing fair, he got ready his ship, and hoisting sails, they pursued their voyage, and arrived at the city of Kidalita. From thence they went to King Solomon, by whom they were received kindly and with all suitable respect. And, as soon as he had learned the occasion of their coming, he made them a promise of assistance, and spoke to them as follows. Chapter 5 The Speech of Salomon, King of Armorica, to Cadwallo It is a grief to us, noble youths, that the country of your ancestors is oppressed by a barbarous nation, and that you are ignominiously driven out of it. But since other men are able to defend their kingdoms, it is a wonder your people should lose so fruitful an island, and not be able to withstand the nation of the Angles, whom our countrymen hold in contempt. While the people of this country lived together with yours in Britain, they bore sway over all the provincial kingdoms, and never could be subdued by any nation but the Romans. Neither did the Romans do this by their own power, as I have been lately informed, but by a dissension among the nobility of the island. And even the Romans, though they held it under their subjection for a time, yet upon the loss and slaughter of their rulers were driven out with disgrace. But after the Britons came into this province, under the conduct of Maximian and Conan, those that remained never had the happiness afterwards of holding an uninterrupted possession of the crown. For though many of their princes maintained the ancient dignity of their ancestors, yet their weak heirs that succeeded, though more in number, entirely lost it upon the invasion of their enemies. Therefore I am grieved for the weakness of your people, since we are of the same race with you, and the name Britons is common to you, and to the nation that bravely defends their country, which you see at war with all its neighbours. Chapter 6 Cadwallo's Answer to Salomon When he had concluded this speech, Cadwallo, who was little put to the blush, answered him after this manner. Royal Sir, whose descent is from a race of kings, I give you many thanks for your promise of assisting me to recover my kingdom. But what you say is a wonder, that my people have not maintained the dignity of their ancestors since the time that the Britons came to these provinces. I am far from thinking to be such. 
for the noblest men of the whole kingdom followed those leaders, and there remained only the baser sort to enjoy their honours, who, being raised to a high quality, on a sudden were puffed up above their station, and growing wanton with riches, gave themselves up to commit such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, and, as Gildas the historian testifies, were not only guilty of this vice, but of all the enormities that are incident to human nature. And what chiefly prevailed, to the entire overthrow of all goodness, was the hatred of truth with its asserters, the love of a lie with the inventors of it, the embracing of evil for good, the veneration of wickedness for grace, the receiving of Satan for an angel of light. Kings were anointed, not for the sake of God, but such as were more cruel than the rest, and were soon after murdered by their anointers, without examination, having chosen others yet more cruel in their room. But if any of them showed any mildness, or seemed a favourer of truth, against him, as the subverter of Britain, were all their malice and their weapons bent. In short, things pleasing to God or displeasing, with them had the same weight, even if the worse were not the weightier. Therefore were all affairs managed contrary to public safety, as if the true physician of all had left them destitute of cure. And thus was everything done without discretion, and that not only by secular men, but by the Lord's flock and its pastors. Therefore, it is not to be wondered that such a degenerate race, so odious to God for their vices, lost a country which they had so heinously corrupted. For God was willing to execute his vengeance upon them by suffering a foreign people to come among them and drive them out of their possessions. Notwithstanding, it would be a worthy act, if God would permit it, to restore our subjects to their ancient dignity, to prevent the reproach that may be thrown upon our race, that we were weak rulers who did not exert ourselves in our own defence. And I do the more freely ask your assistance, as you are of the same blood with us. For the great Malgo, who was the fourth king of Britain after Arthur, had two sons, named Enianus and Runo. Enianus begot Belin, Belin Jago, Jago Caduan, who was my father. Runo, who after his brother's death, was driven out by the Saxons, came to this province and bestowed his daughter on Duke Hurl, the son of that great Hurl who shared with Arthur in his conquests. Of her was born Alan, of Alan, Hurl, your father, 
who while he lived was a terror to all Gaul. Chapter 7 Brian Kills Edwin's Magician In the meantime, while he was spending the winter with Salomon, they entered into a resolution that Brian would pass over into Britain and take some method to kill Edwin's magician, lest he might, by his usual art, inform him of Cadwallo's coming. And when with this design he had arrived at Hamu's port, he took upon himself the habit of a poor man, and made himself a staff of iron, sharp at the end, with which he might kill the magician, if he should happen to meet with him. From thence, he went to York, where Edwin then resided, and having entered that city, joined himself to the poor people that waited for arms before the king's gate. But as he was going to and fro, it happened that his sister came out of the hall, with a basin in her hand, to fetch water for the queen. She had been taken by Edwin at the city of Worcester, when, after Cadwallo's flight, he was acting his hostilities upon the provinces of the Britons. As she was therefore passing by Brian, he immediately knew her, and breaking forth into tears, called to her with a low voice, at which the damsel turning her face was in doubt at first as to who it might be, but upon a nearer approach discovered it to be her brother and was near falling into a swoon, for fear that he might, by some unlucky accident, be known and taken by the enemy. She therefore refrained from saluting him, or entering into familiar discourse with him, but told him, as if she was talking upon some other subject, the state of the court, and showed him the magician that he was inquiring for, who was at that very time walking among the poor people, while the arms were being distributed among them. Brian, as soon as he had taken knowledge of the man, ordered his sister to steal out, privately, from her apartment the night following, and come to him near an old church without the city, where he would conceal himself in expectation of her. Then dismissing her, he thrust himself in among the crowd of poor people, in that part where Pelatus was placing them. And the same moment he got access to him, he lifted up his staff and at once gave him a stab under the breast which killed him. This done, he threw away his staff and passed among the rest undistinguished and unsuspected by any of the bystanders and by good providence got to the place of concealment which he had appointed. His sister, when night came on, endeavoured all she could to get out, but was not able, because Edwin, being terrified at the killing of Pelatus, had set a strict watch about the court, who, making a narrow search, refused to let her go out. When Brian found this, he retired from that place 
and went to Exeter, where he called together the Britons and told them what he had done. Afterwards, having dispatched away messengers to Cadwallo, he fortified that city and sent word to all the British nobility that they should bravely defend their cities and towns and joyfully expect Cadwallo's coming to their relief in a short time with auxiliary forces from Salomon. Upon the spreading of this news over the whole island, Piander, king of the Mercians, with a very great army of Saxons, came to Exeter and besieged Brian. End of Book Twelve, Part One